Well, welcome to Journey North Church Online. Journey North anywhere. I'm in my family room, as you can see, or living room, whichever you call it. I never know which it is. Whatever platform you're joining in on, whether it's Facebook or YouTube or Journey North Live on our website, whatever, post a comment if you can and let us know how you're joining us and where you're at. It would be fun to know. I'm just so glad that you're here with us. We are in such a crazy time right now, a lack of um, certainty, a time of fear and doubt and anxiety, a lack of hope. And even though we can't be together, we need to be together. 
I'm just so glad we can at least do it this way via technology. I love technology. Always and forever. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Does anyone else think it's ironic that we just did a series that dealt with social media and such? And here we are on it all the time to connect and we're even doing church online. We're going to make the best of it and we're going to work on connecting in as many recommended and approved ways as possible. Today I'd like to look with you at one of the greatest men of God ever recorded in scripture. We've talked about him numerous times in the past. His name is Elijah. Let me just give you the context of the time period that we're studying. During Elijah's time, the northern kingdom had experienced some 19 consecutive evil kings, spanning about a 200-year time period. Just let that sink in for a minute. Imagine, if you will, not just 19 ineffective leaders, but imagine 19 consecutive evil leaders. That was the time that Elijah lived in. In fact, there was this very evil king we've talked about before. His name was Ahab, who was married to a wicked woman named Jezebel. Some say the most wicked woman who ever lived. Now, during these times of idolatry, when these evil kings, they would turn people's hearts away from the one true God, they would turn them to false gods, the gods of Baal, the god of Asherah, and people would often even sacrifice their children to these false gods. Now, I know in this time of quarantine, and this time of staying at home. I know that a lot of parents and kids have been together way more than normal, okay? This is not acceptable, sacrificing children. I heard one parent say, I understand now why some species eat their young, okay? That's, that's not where we're at right now. They would go into back then, they would go into the temples and engage in some pretty vile activities, and they would call it worship, things that are even too gross for me to describe here. And scripture says, under Ahab's reign, he was more evil than anyone before him. So this is a very, very dark time of corruption. We're talking about major scandals, tremendous idol worship. And finally, God says, enough is enough. Interestingly, though, God didn't raise up an army to take a stand against this evil king. Instead, God does what God often does, and that is he raised up one person to take a stand, one man. And I would argue that in today's world, God may wanna do something very similar where you live. God often raises up one person to make a big difference. So today, as we begin to understand who Elijah is, we're gonna call this the making of a man of God because that's what it is. He didn't start that way. God made him into that. In your case, it could also be the making of a woman of God. So let's just start with an understanding of the very basics. Elijah, what does his name mean? Elijah actually comes from three root words, the L, the E-L part, the I in the middle, and the J-A-H at the end. The L stands for Elohim or God. I is the personal pronoun for my or mine, and Jah or Yah comes from Jehovah. Or Yahweh. So when we put it together very literally, the name means the Lord is Jehovah. My God is Jehovah. The Lord is my God. And so immediately when God raises up this prophet to stand down the king, by his very name alone, he's making the point, the Lord God is the one true God. My God is Jehovah. And he stands down this king who turns so many against the one true God. 
So let's pick up the story. The first time we see Elijah in all of Scripture is in 1 Kings chapter 17. And at the very beginning of this story, we don't have hardly any background at all on the prophet. We simply know him by where he's from. That's how he's identified. It's like saying, Tim Adams is from Pine City. And we learn about him by where he's from. So here's verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. You see, he's identified with where he's from. That will change soon. He said to King Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, and you can see he's going like straight toward these false gods. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, if this was a movie, the music would just go, because what was just said was one of the most strategic prophetic judgments against that land that you could ever imagine. He said, for the next few months and years, no rain, no dew. That's dew on the ground, not mountain dew. He's not so harsh that there's no mountain dew. Okay. Now, to put that into context, we're living in a time when things, they're not just slowing down, they're shutting down, right? That's what we're experiencing. In that agriculturally driven community, no rain literally shut everything down. We're not talking about just a lack of toilet paper. For us, that situation would mean you can't get gas at the gas stations. The banks are not only not lending money, you can't get your own money out. You won't have electricity in your home. Life as you know it just ended. People starving to death, unemployment reaching 50, 60, 70, 80%. People are going to be dying all over the place. So this man of God stands down this evil king and says, no more rain. That took tremendous faith to do that. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, man, the battle's on. The man of God stands strong. Let's see him fight. But instead, God does something that's, it's a little bit different. He takes Elijah into a season of hiding. And we're going to watch over the next, it's like quite a long period of time. God goes and takes Elijah away so he can do so much more in him. Why? Because there's so much more God wants to do through him. And we're going to watch as God shapes this man in a very deep season of preparation. Many of you, you will very much identify with the preparatory work that God takes Elijah through. There are actually three seasons of preparation that we identify in the story that we'll be able to identify with. The first one, if you're taking notes, God takes him through what we call a season of isolated pain, where he is very alone. He's isolated. Sound familiar to anyone? It seems like that's where the whole world is right now, isolated. We're all in this season of isolation, of isolated pain, alone. He's got no one else to call out to. He's got no tech. It's not like he can FaceTime somebody or text somebody or do a, a Google Duo chat with somebody. He is hurting. He is all alone in this season of hiding. Verse 2 and 3, we pick this up. Verse 1 said, no more rain. Verse 2 says, then. What that, that's, that's kind of emphasized, meaning immediately after that. As soon as he says, no rain, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here. Turn eastward and hide in the Kirith Ravine east of Jordan. Now, can I get all of you, wherever you're at right now, I want you all at the same time to say Kirith Ravine on three. Are you ready? One, two, Kirith Ravine. 
I didn't hear some of you. One more time. Ready? One, two, three. Kirith Ravine. This word in the Hebrew, Kirith, it means cut off, like cut off from the blessing. It means to cut down. It means to cut off from the source or, or actually very literally cut down like you would chop down a tree. And you could almost sense what God is saying here through this. It's as if God is going to say, I'm going to take you through a season of breaking. I'm going to cut you down. I'm going to humble you. I'm going to teach you to be totally dependent on me. And I'm going to humble you privately before I can use you publicly. I'm going to do something in you that's very, very deep so that later on you can do more than you ever thought possible. I'm going to work in you privately so I can use you publicly. We may be in right now a type of Kirith Ravine, a season of alone, a season of pain, and people are going, where is God? Where is God? And the reality is oftentimes God is right there doing that deep work in you. It's a little bit like, it's a little bit like the little bird was flying south for the winter. I know I've told you this story before, um, but I really like it. Preachers have told this story for, for decades, centuries, I think. Who knows? Um, but I like this because it's gross, it's sad, and it's funny. And those are like the three great qualities of any good story, right? So it's a little birdie. It's flying south for the winter, and he gets off to a late start. And so he got caught in a snowstorm. And the snow and the sleet, the wind was so fierce that it got on his little wings, and they started to freeze. And all of a sudden, he comes in for a crash landing. Little birdie was just being pelted and he was so cold, he realized his wings were frozen, he couldn't fly, he's laying there just starting to be covered up with the snow and he's resigned to this horrible death and he says something we've heard many people say, this is the worst thing ever. You ever heard anybody say that? This is the worst thing ever, I'm going to freeze to death. All of a sudden, a cow comes along and stands on top right over the little birdie and dumps on him. That's the gross part of the story, in case you were wondering. Just a load of manure falls on the little bird. And the little birdie says, Ah, oh, I thought it was bad before. I was going to freeze to death. Now I'm under this manure. This is the worst thing ever. And all of a sudden, the warmth of the manure started to cause his little frozen body to thaw out. And he started to shake his little wings. And you know, he thinks, I may live. I may live. And he was so excited, he started to chirp with joy. You know, chirp, chirp, chirp. He's making this noise. And then all of a sudden, a cat shows up because it heard the chirping. And it dug the bird out of the manure and ate him. That's the sad part of the story, in case you were wondering. There are three lessons from this story. Here's lesson number one. Everyone who drops manure on you, not your enemy. Lesson number two. Everyone who digs you out of it, not necessarily your friend. And lesson number three, when you're in manure, keep your big mouth shut. That's the lesson from that story. Some of you right now, you're saying, I'm, I'm living in the Kirith Ravine. I'm there. I'm being broken. It's like I'm being cut down. Those things that I used to depend on, I can no longer depend on. I'm in this Kirith Ravine and God says, you're not understanding it though. I'm doing something in you. There's a preparatory work going on. I'm teaching you something God says you couldn't learn any other way. I'm doing this work in you so that I can do more through you. Does that make sense? Some of you, you recognize this. You're there. You're there and 
you could be there on purpose. See, we, we think of these things and, and it's like God is not causing the current catastrophe, the current crisis that we're in, this, this worldwide thing. God doesn't cause these things, but God can certainly use them. Just like, for instance, we're online now. Do you realize last week we had online our largest attendance ever at Journey in Our Church, ever. Topped our biggest Easter last week. Just the online platform that we use on journeyinourchurch.com that you can watch and comment on and stuff, that platform has been picked up by tens of thousands of churches. And I told you these numbers, I was wrong on one of them. On two, two weeks ago, 15,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. Just on that platform. Last week, 28,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. That means in a period of approximately nine days, 43,000 people came to Jesus just from that platform. That's not Facebook or YouTube or Vimeo or any of those other ones, just that one. So God is doing a great thing here and we might be here on purpose. He might not cause it, but he can use it. So you're in the Kirith Ravine. You're in that period. Elijah was there for months, all alone, nobody to talk to. You know, no tech, like I said earlier. Can't get his cell phone out and talk to somebody. So we're kind of in this Kirith ravine now. So be encouraged. Know that God is preparing you in this isolated pain, the season of the Kirith ravine. The second thing that we see God take Elijah through is he's shaping him and molding him into a man of God, of power, is it takes him through a season of what we call total dependence total and complete dependence, where Elijah cannot depend on anything at all except God and God alone. We're kind of there, aren't we? Verses four, five, and six says this, God says this, Elijah, you will drink from the brook and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. And here's the important part. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kirith Ravine east of Jordan and stayed there. He obeyed. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the book, the brook, not the book. Don't miss that. See, we see Elijah here all by himself, and God does this incredible miracle in the middle of a drought. Remember, there is no water. There's not even any dew on the ground, and God has this brook for him. In the middle of a drought, no rain, there's this brook that he gets to drink from. Then we've got God's heavenly delivery service, okay? These birds go out, they find bread and meat every morning and every evening, and they deliver them straight to the prophet. I'm pretty sure it was like no contact to delivery and pickup, just so that it was safe. So what was God doing? God was clearly saying, no matter what, for always and all time, I will be faithful. You can count on me to provide for you. Many of you right now, you're in a season where there was something you used to trust in for your security, and it's been taken away. And you don't have anything else to trust in except the giver of life and the giver of all good things. Are you having to learn that when everything else you used to believe in fades away, God will forever and always be faithful to you? Here's the third thing that God does. God takes Elijah through a season of what we call unconditional obedience. There's isolated pain, there's total dependence, and then there's a season of unconditional obedience. Verses 7, 8, and 9, the story starts to break down. You know, what's God's doing? He told me to do this, and now it's all changing. What's going on with, you know, God, I don't understand this. 1 Kings 17, 7. The Bible says this. Sometime later, what happened? Sometime later, the brook dried up. 
we memorized this verse together a number of years ago. I remember Emily and I memorized this. She came and told me that she had this memorized. She quoted it. It was very cool. Um, but you can do that. 17, 7, 1 Kings 17, 7, the brook dried up. It dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. Now let's put ourselves in the prophet's place. It had been months. He's been in this ravine. It's been feeding. He's been fed daily. He's had this water daily. And God told him to go there. And then the brook dries up. And God says to move on. In my mind, I'm starting to think, okay, God, where are you? What's the purpose of being here? You gave me water from the brook. Now the water dries up. Did I do something wrong? Am I really hearing correctly from you? I don't quite understand. The brook dried up. Why would the source of what used to feed me that came from you dry up? And he's going to learn that the same God who gives water can take water away. Because often God may cause the brook to dry up to give us the courage to leave where we are and to go where we're supposed to be. Some of you right now, you may be going, my brook is drying up. I used to be able to trust in my job and now that's all changed. I used to have this nest egg. I had a 401k. Now it's a 201k. A lot of times people will say this. They'll say, God guides by what he provides. And he does. Preachers say this all the time, you know, where there's a vision, God gives the provision. And God will often guide by what he provides. But I believe with all my heart, God often guides by what he does not provide. God, the same God who gives water, may cause the brook to dry up to give us the courage to take that next step of total obedience. The brook dried up and it gave Elijah the courage to be obedient even when it didn't make sense. God said, go to Zarephath. There were no travel restrictions at that time like there are now, so he could do that, but this can still apply to us. God's not gonna ask you to go to Zarephath, but he is gonna ask you to do something. So God causes him to go into this new place. And this story is incredible. It's very, uh, a very rich, colorful story. I can't read it all. I'm just going to hit the high point. You need to read it sometime. It's all the way through the end of 1 Kings 17. So read that the rest of this week. He moves and then he travels to this place, maybe like 100 miles or so across like barren land, desert. And he comes and he sees this widow, little old widow who God says is going to provide for him. So he humbles himself and he says, Madam, I'm really thirsty. Could you give me some water to drink and maybe a little snack because I'm kind of hungry? And he's doing that because that's what God told him to do. And the widow looks at him and says, are you like the only guy who doesn't know? It hasn't rained. We're dying. There's a drought here. I'm a widow. I've got one son. He's back at the hut. I came out here to get some sticks, going to make a little fire, going to make the last meal because I got a little flour left, got a little bit of oil left in the jug, excuse me, in the jug. That's all I've got. Enough for one last meal we're going to eat, and then we're going to die. And because of what God is doing in Elijah's life and working in him, Elijah says, no, you're not. And he looks at an impossible situation, and he speaks faith into it. And he says, the flour that you have will not run out. The oil in the jar will not run out. Go back and bake me some biscuits. And so she does. And they ate the biscuits and the flour did not run out. That's what many people are hoping will happen with their last roll of toilet paper. The oil did not run dry and they ate and they ate for weeks and months. 
God again supernaturally provided for Elijah in his unconditional obedience to God. Then one day tragedy strikes and the son dies unexpectedly and mysteriously. Mom freaks out, as you would expect, and she says, is this God's judgment on me because I, I turned against the one true God to these false gods? Elijah, did you come here so this would happen? And Elijah, because of everything that's happened to him so far, because God was shaping him, did something that, to our knowledge, had never happened before in history. There's no record of this in the Bible up to this point ever happening. He takes a dead boy, carries him up to the upper room, lays him down, stretches over him, looks up to heaven and says, God, I think you could heal this boy and I'm asking you to do it. And God raises a dead boy to life. Why did this happen? Because God took him to Kirith Ravine and he was cut down. God took him to a season of total dependence where he couldn't depend on anything at all but God and God alone. Then God dried up the brook so that he would leave where he was and go to where God ultimately wanted him so once again he could perform an incredible miracle and raise this boy back to life. God used the horrible things to shape him into a true man of God. Next time we'll see Elijah, we're going to look at him next time we, we talk, and he's going to do something incredible that takes extreme faith. And I look at it and it's like, how could Elijah have such faith to do this thing we're going to talk about next time? And it's because he had been through the Kirith Ravine. Some of you right now, you're stressing out over that crisis we're experiencing. God may just be saying, I'm doing something in you because one day I want to do more through you. Verse 1, Elijah was described as Elijah the Tishbite. He was known by where he's from. 23 verses later, he's not known for where he's from, but instead whom he's from. And look at how the story changes. Verse 24, the end of the story. The woman, he just raised her son after this happened. says, then a woman, she says to Elijah, it's like, wow, now I know that you are a, what does he say? You are a man of God. And the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. So now he is the man of God. God may allow you to go through the Kirith Ravine. So one day, someone could look at you and say, now I know, I see it. They would say, wow, you're a woman of God. I see it. You're a child of God. They'd say, wow, I see it. You're a man of God. And I will tell you right now in my life, I praise God for the pain for the shaping experiences that we've been through. I praise him for the hurt, for the brokenness, for all of the supernatural provision and all the unconditional obedience because I pray that when people look at me, that today when they look at me, they would say, oh yeah, there's, they wouldn't say, there's Tim Adams, that guy from Pine City. But instead they say, oh, there's Tim Adams. He's not perfect, but we know he's a man of God. I want them to say that about you a man or woman of God. The making of a man or woman of God, they often go through the Kirith Ravine. So God can do in them what he wants to do before he does more through them. So it's like we said, don't panic, pray. Don't worry, worship. Don't fear, have faith. In this time of isolation and loneliness and stress, you can find the source of hope this isn't about rules or regulations or rituals or requirements. 
It's about a relationship with that same God that Elijah served, a relationship with God through Jesus. You can have peace and calm and hope even in the midst of a crisis by trusting in Jesus and what he did on the cross, that it was for you. Believe and receive him today. You can pray right now wherever you're at and ask Jesus to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior. Total dependence and unconditional obedience. Could you bow your head as we pray? Father, I know there's people listening to this from all over, not just all over Pine City, but all over. And I pray that, that anyone listening to this does not have that intimate, personal relationship with you. It's been about church or religion or rules or regulations or rituals that today, right now where they're at, they would be able to come into that relationship with you through Jesus. In simple faith, they would say, Jesus, I believe that you came. I believe that you lived a sinless life and died on the cross not to pay for your sin, but to pay for mine. I believe that and I receive you as my Lord and Savior today. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you today, Jesus. That in simple faith of saying that from their heart, they can come into a relationship with you and like it says in John 1, they would then become a child of the one true King. Father, for those who have already stepped across that line, from unbelief to belief, I pray that we would really lean into this and realize there are times we go through this Kirith Ravine. And it might not be pleasant, but it shapes in us, in that deep inner part of us, what's needed so that you can do amazing things through us. And so help us to thank you and even praise you during these difficult times. We love you, and it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. We love you.